sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. What a great promise. Amen. Never be alone. Please be seated. Continuing our series on the gospel-centered family today, we're going to be looking at a, a little unusual perspective on the gospel and the family, and that is uh, the gospel and finances. Uh, you know the best way to kill a good Baptist? Shoot him in the billfold. He's graveyard dead, I promise you. You know, it's... Um, it's an amazing thing that sometimes some of the issues that the Bible so clearly speaks about, we don't connect very much to the issue of the gospel. Well, the gospel is, is uh, Christ's death, his life, his, uh, uh, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And not only that, but his coming again. All of that is encapsulated in the message of the gospel. So between Christ's first coming and his second coming, he has given us the great commission to go and make disciples, uh, to baptize them, to teach them all things uh, that he has commanded. And he says, lo, I'm with you always. Jesus was confronted many times in Scripture about what, uh, uh, what should be done with finances. Uh, you remember when he was questioned about the idea of um, whether he should pay taxes or not? And he answered by giving them a very clear direction and saying uh, whose inscription is on that, on that coin, and it said Caesar's. And what was his famous statement? Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and unto God that which is God's. Now, uh, the rich young ruler was came to Jesus and uh, he said uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life and Jesus knowing his heart as the scripture says go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me and it says that the young man uh, walked away very sad because Jesus uh, knew that in his heart he loved this world and the things of this world probably more than he loved the Lord. Where the, the Bible says that where your heart is, there is your treasure. I was reading here recently, uh, George Gallup writes and does a lot of different polls. George Gallup says that the number one cause of arguments in families is finances. In fact, from his study, there were three top uh, issues that, causes, that caused problems which led to a lot of divorces and families deteriorating and being destroyed. Finances, in-laws, encapsulated outlaws, I guess, when they come like that, 
and then intimate relationship. If your finances are not right, I mean, with each other, and you're not on the same page with that, you're going to what? You're going to argue. And so when you argue, then some others are going to take sides. Your families are going to take sides. And then what ends up? You don't have any kind of a relationship anymore. So finance is a very important part of the, of the gospel message for the Christian family and for the church. He said in this, in this poll, 65% of all marriages argue about money. Either how it's spent or who spends it or who spent too much. 54%, and this is his own statistics, 54% of all divorces are related to money issues. Wow. Maybe we need to change in the vows where it says until death parts us. Maybe we need to change until debt parts us. A little humor there. I don't mean that. <laughs> so, you know, those of you who watch every word that I say out there, I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. So let's talk about it. Let's just look at Scripture. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 20. How do we get into trouble with finances? We, we love the Lord. We have a family that, that goes to church together, prays together, serves God together. Uh, and we're talking basically to the Christian family this morning because the, the gospel, uh, of course, is, is related to finances by how we are able to reach out and, and, and bring more people to Christ. But we're focused mainly today on the Christian family. So how, do we, how does the Christian family get in trouble uh, when it comes to finances? Proverbs uh, 27 and verse 20. Now, I picked some unique translations today on purpose because it says them very, very clearly in some contemporary language. In fact, Proverbs 27 and verse 20 from the uh, Good News translation says this, human desires are like the world of the dead. There's always room for more. Now, how does the King James say that? Listen to this. King James Version says in Proverbs 27, 20, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. What were the, the sins that, that have, uh, is the modus operandi of every sin that's ever been committed? The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I see it, I want it, and I'll do whatever it takes to get it. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, and that's exactly what the devil still uses today on, his, um, on those who will be uh, influenced by him. How do we get in trouble? We are never, and I use that word never in the sense of as we look at our entire lives, it seems like sometimes we never reach the point of where the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4, I have found myself to be content in whatever state I am, and that's not Mississippi, Arkansas, or Tennessee. He says, I know how to abound. In other words, I know how to have plenty, and I know uh, how to have nothing. I've been rich and I've been poor, but what I have found is that whatever state or whatever condition I'm in, 
that I find contentment, not in, my, not in my condition, but contentment in my relationship to Christ. Because money can't buy that. Money can, cannot destroy it. Our relationship to Jesus Christ is absolutely secure because of He and what He did for us. So what do we hope having more will bring? Well, these are some of the things that I, uh, as I was preparing for this, these are some of the things that I found that I thought were pretty interesting. We hope that having more will bring us more satisfaction. You remember the old song, I can't get no satisfaction. The American dream in life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. I don't think y'all got that. <laughs> the American dream, life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. No, it is the pursuit of happiness. And the pursuit of happiness is for every individual and happiness, as believers, we know the root of what, uh, what brings us happiness should be joy because happiness is not what we're looking for. We're looking for joy and contentment, as, as the Apostle Paul says. We're looking for a peace that passes all understanding that shall keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. We're looking for something that will give us, when we put our head down on the pillow at night, we can close our eyes in peace and not be anxious. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10, from the Good News translation again, it says this, You will never be satisfied if you long to be rich. You will never get all you want. Okay, Brother Ken, that's telling me I should just, you know, just be satisfied with making my measly um, um, 15 or $20 an hour, uh, that's, uh, I'll never believe minimum wage is getting up that high. Well, you know what minimum wage was when I started working? A dollar and a quarter. Wow, thank you, Bidenflation, I mean inflation. <laughs> the desire to acquire just keeps on growing. We can never seem to reach a point of satisfaction. Another thing is that we hope that having more will bring us more significance. We think if I have more, then I'll be more important. If, we have, if I have more, then I'll be more respected. If I have more, then I'll be more powerful. If I have more, then I'll be more admired. If I have more, then I'll be more famous. Well, if those are your goals and your desires in life as a believer, and your finances are based on how, much, how important you are, how respected you may feel, how powerful you may feel, how admired you may feel, or how famous you may feel, those are not the motivations for us as believers. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 15 from the Good News, it says, A man's true life is not made up of the things he owns, no matter how rich he may be. In other words, your net worth is not the same as your self-worth. You should never confuse your value with your valuables. A third thing that we think that will give us more than what we hope to bring uh, into our lives. We think that by having more, we'll have more security. 
Proverbs 23 and verse 5 from the good news says this, Your money can be gone in a flash, as if you had grown wings, as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. Proverbs 23 and verse 5. How many can amen that? It is amazing to me how money just gets away. Or that's what we say. So what does having more really bring to us? What does having more really bring to us? Those are some things that we think that having more will bring to us, but what, what does it really bring? Well, first thing it brings, if we have more, it brings more expenses. Uh, think about this. Um, we look around our friends that we hang out with. You know, one of them gets something new, and uh, they enjoy it, you know, and they invite, to invite you to come, but you don't have one of those new things, so you feel like you want to get one of those new things, whatever it may be. So you know that it's, uh, finances are tight, but you want to you be able to enjoy like the others are enjoying, so you get you one of those new things. And so let's just say that it's, um, that it's a new four-wheeler, all right? You get you a new four-wheeler, so you get a new four-wheeler, then what have you got to have? You've got to have a trailer to carry it on. So you've got to buy a trailer. And then once you get a trailer to carry it on, then you've got to have a truck to pull the trailer. And so you've got, to, you've got a four-wheeler, you've got a trailer, you've got a truck. Then when something happens to the four-wheeler, and unless you are mechanically inclined, you've got to have somebody fix the four-wheeler for you. And then you've got to buy more gas, and then you've got to buy more oil, and then you've got to buy more stuff to go. Then the next thing you know, you need a seat on the four-wheeler so somebody can ride with you. So that's another expense. The more you get, the more expense comes with it. As income goes up, so do your expenses. I remember starting out um, in 1969, right out of high school, a dollar and a quarter an hour. I was bringing home on a 40-hour week, $32 a week. My rent was $30 a month. My car payment was $55 a month. So that didn't leave much. You left about 10 bucks for groceries and uh, for gas. Of course, gas then was only like 29 cents a gallon. And they would have a gas war every once in a while, and you'd see the prices drop down. I've, I've paid li as little as 19 cents a gallon for gas. Now, that was many moons ago, <laughs> over 50 years ago. But just look at how things have changed. I mean, so as income goes up, I thought that yeah, this is what I thought. And my, the journeyman that I worked with, I was an electrician, and I worked with this journeyman. And the gentleman that I worked with was bringing home $100 a week. And I said to him one day, and I said, Man, what do you do with all that money? <laughs> and now if you, don't make, if you don't make $100 a day, you can barely survive. As income goes up, so do expenses. 
I've always said that if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you can bet their water bill is higher too. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 11 from the Living Bible paraphrase says this, the more money you have, the more you spend right up to the limits of your income. Isn't that true? I mean, think about it. Look at your own life. I've, I had to look at mine and say, man, this is exactly right on target. But what else does it really bring? Number two, it creates more worries. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, A working man can get a good night's sleep, but the rich man has so much that he stays awake worrying. What's he worrying about? His money. John D. Rockefeller was asked one time, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And you know what his reply was? And I quote, one dollar more. It creates more worries. If you, if you look at history and you look at the Rockefellers and all the others that came up at, during that time uh, with the oil industry and with the, with the uh, railroad industry and all the things that were going on, they stayed in constant fear and constant and, and some of the things you see with the railroad, there were literally murders that took place when the railroad people tried to organize so that they could get a de decent wage. Then we see that the government came down on the Rockefellers and the others because they had monopolies. So every, they were constantly worrying about everything that was going on. Let's just bring that on down uh, from the Rockefellers, bringing on down to, our, to ourselves. What do we do? We've got all these things that we, we want to be able to have, some because our friends have them, and we want to, you know, be able to do the things that they do. And so we, we build these houses, and, and we have a garage on the house. What's a garage made for? It's made for a vehicle, right? But most of our garages are full of our things. And the vehicles have to stay outside. So then we don't have enough room for all those things, so we have to buy a storage building <laughs> to put all the things in. And you know what we do? We put locks on them. We put alarms on them. We put theft-proof this and that on them. Why? Because we're afraid somebody's going to come and take them. Now, that's a, that's a legitimate fear nowadays. But it's stuff that we think about, we worry about. We get anxious over. What if somebody come, comes and takes all my stuff? So it creates more worries. More things creates more worries. A recent study said, Insomnia, and I, I, this was really amazing. I read two articles on this, that insomnia increases with income. Now think about that. Insomnia increases with income. Now I'm not saying that income increases what causes insomnia. Please, those of you in the medical field, don't say, you know, please don't, that's what I'm saying. But this study did a study on insomnia, and it was about what are the causes, the root causes. And one of the major causes was an increase in income caused people to, be, to lose sleep.
Another thing, it creates more pain if our things are lost. Ecclesiastes 5 says, Risky investments turn sour, and soon there's nothing left. It's all swept away. The rest of his life, he's under a cloud, gloomy, discouraged, frustrated, and angry. And that's from the Living Bible paraphrase. So four kinds of pain when we, when we lose our things or lose our wealth. We're gloomy, we're frustrated, we're discouraged, and we're angry. How many of you, back in 2008, when the housing market crumbled, how many of you were very happy with your 401ks? Frustrated, gloomy, and even right now, I mean, you think about all that's going on. It creates pain. So, we've seen what we think will get us, what we'll get with more things, what we really do get when we have more. Let's just close out with this idea. What is God's way for us to avoid financial trouble? I think the Bible is very clear, gives us some clear outlines and uh, outline and and. Uh, and a clear plan of priorities that you and I should have. We should keep good records. Riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interest closely. Know the state of your flocks. Write this down. Ignorance plus easy credit equals catastrophe. When one of our children went to college, I will spare the name to protect the guilty. When one of our children went to college, we thought that we had done an okay job of, of teaching our children how to prepare and to spend money and how to, to watch it. Well, um, we took out and, and did a bank account especially for this child. And um, we started getting overdraft notices. Parents, you ever experienced that with a child? Or maybe yourself. And so I'm calling this child and saying, what's going on? And you know what the reply was? Well, I called the bank and they told me that this was my balance. I said, well, how many checks have you written that haven't gone through the bank yet? Well, I don't know. I said, aren't you keeping a ledger? If you have $100 in the bank and you write a check for $10, that means you only have $90. It doesn't matter whether the bank says you still have 100 because that check hasn't come through yet. That's why you've got to keep a ledger. Oh. <laughs> a 
we finally got that through. And there are people that do their money that way today. They get a deposit from their, uh, from their work. They go on a spending spree, and they don't keep up with what they've spent. And the next thing you know, they're getting bounced checks. And who do they blame? They blame not themselves because they didn't keep up with it, but they blame everyone else. They blame the bank. They blame the institution they wrote it to, uh, or whatever it may be. I don't know, but think about this for a minute. You need to keep good records. If you, you need to be able to tell your money where to go. Keep good records. Riches can disappear fast, so watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks. Four things you need to know. You need to know what you own. You need to know what you owe. You need to know what you earn. And you need to know where it goes. That is a biblical principle of handling the finances that God has given us. We are to be stewards of that which God has given us. Every one of us as Christians, the Bible says that we all have different gifts. We all have different abilities, talents, and all of those things, and wonderful they are. It makes us unique. It makes us be able to function in a great way where I'm, where I'm not gifted in a certain area, other people are, and so on. What a wonderful thing, the body of Christ. But there's one thing that every Christian is responsible to be. And the Bible says it is required of a steward that they be found faithful. So know where your things go. The second thing is plan your spending. Plan carefully, Proverbs 21, and you'll have plenty. If you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. Solomon says that financial freedom is not based on how much you earn. It's based on how you spend it. The average American spends six hours a week. And this is the most recent Gallup poll again. The average American spends six hours a week in shopping-related activities. That's more than they spend at church. Uh-oh. No wonder we get in trouble. Impulse buying. Unplanned expenditures. <laughs> this has always been a discussion. Two things, you, number one, you don't, that, well, one thing you don't want to do and one thing you should always do. If you go to the grocery store, always have a list and stick with it. Number two, don't go to the grocery store hungry. <laughs> Those two are a battle all the time. It takes a little planning. Plan your spending. Think about, use a budget. You say, what? A budget. Now, I know that we... Uh, that we don't have a very good example here in our country by following a budget. 
But every home should have a budget. Every individual who handles money should have a budget. Now, what is a budget? A budget is just simply a guideline. But it helps you plan and prepare. Impulse buying. Listen to this. Sales are designed to create impulse buying. Now, I'm not against our, listen, I'm not against our retail people. They got to make a living, but they know how to get that money out of your pocket. They know how to place things, particularly in the store. Hey, they know that you as a, as a parent, especially a mom who's dragging along three or four children, you're coming to the checkout. Uh, for those who still have checkouts, you come to the checkout, you got three, four little kids following you. What's right there at the checkout rack? Candy. Candy. Do you think that's just by accident? No, that's by, that's by plan. Proverbs 21 and verse 20 from the good news. Listen to how... Listen to how the good news translates this. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Stupid. Have we not been all guilty of that? What does Proverbs 21, let me, let me read to you what Proverbs 21, 20 says in the in the King James Version. Let's just, I want you to, I want to read it for you here. Proverbs 21 and verse 20. There is a desirable treasure. In other words, I see it. I want it. And oil in the dwelling of the wise. In other words, the wise man stores up his oil. But a foolish man squanders it. Good News Translation says stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. It's a paraphrase of what that verse says. What's an, another step for us? Save for the future. Save for the future. Proverbs 21, verse 20, the same from the Living Bible, paraphrase says this, the wise man saves for the future. I found these statistics. These are, were amazing to me. The average Japanese saves... In, in, from, you know, in Japan, the average Japanese saves 25% of their income. The average European, European saves 18% of their income. Do you know what the average American family saves of their income? Less than 1%. And if we see something we want, we spend that. Or we put it on our debit card or our credit card and pray the rapture will come before the next month. <laughs> but one of the places that I think where we really, really fall short. Now here in, at Warren... You guys are above average when it comes to this. I'm uh, absolutely blown away sometimes by your generosity to the Lord's work. So what is the fourth thing? Tithe back to God. Tithe back to God. Why does it say do this? 
Three reasons, I believe, the Bible tells us that we should give and plan. It's an act of gratitude. I don't know about you, but I sure am grateful to be saved. The old hymn says, Take my money and my gold, not a mite would I withhold, and then we hold on with all of our might. Is there anything that any of us have that God has not given to us? Are we grateful? Shakespeare said, How sharper than a serpent's tooth is an ungrateful child. Parents, can you identify with that? Be grateful. Our, our giving to the Lord's work should be to realize how grateful we are to be saved. We want to see, we want to see it more and more people being saved and more and more opportunities and more and more ministries and more and more things that could be happening. And then number two, it's an act of priority. Not only should it be an act of gratitude, but an act of priority, setting those things that are important in life. What's going, there's only two things the Scripture says that's going to last for eternity. You know what they are? The Word of God and the souls of men. The Bible says the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord will stand forever. And the Bible says that every one of us will spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven that, that Jesus Christ came and gave his life to pay the penalty for our sin, that he would justify us in the eyes of God the Father, and that we could receive his atonement as, as the payment for our sin and be covered with his imputed righteousness. In other words, when God looks at us, he does not see us as sinners. He sees us with the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ covering us. Amen. And with that in, in mind, think about all that he's done for us and establishing those priorities in our lives that every, everything that we have is, is from him. Therefore, we should prioritize everything that we have to be used for him. And then the third thing, it's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. Why, why does the Bible say that we should give to the work that God's called us to? Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 say, Honor the Lord. How do we honor the Lord? By giving him the leftovers of all of your income. That went right over your head, I think. I heard one person clear their throat. Whenever you hear heresy, you should stand up and say, Oh, ho, oh, oh, ho, stop! Let's try that again. Honor the Lord by giving him the leftovers of all of your income. Okay. By giving him what? The first part of all of your income, and he will fill your barns to overflow. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Amen. What's the principle? Whatever you want God to bless, 
you put him first in. If you want God to bless your family, then put God first in your family. If you want God to bless your career, put God first in your career. If you want God to bless your finances, put God first in your finances. If you want God to bless your relationships, put God first in your relationships. Someone has said to me, Brother Ken, I just can't afford to tithe. I say, Brother, you can't afford not to. Because you're robbing yourself of a blessing. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, saith the Lord of hosts, so that my house and my barns might be full. He says, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you'll not be able to receive it. That's God's promise. This is, this next statement to me is worth all the hours of study that I put in because this really spoke to me. If you don't have enough money to tithe and save, like the scripture teaches, then you're overspending. It's just that simple. And then finally, enjoy what you have. Ecclesiastes 6, 9, it's better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. We live in a Bernie Madoff and a Sam Bankman-Fried world where greed is king. They were known for their Ponzi schemes. What's a Ponzi scheme? A scheme that says, you give me money, and I'm telling you that I'm going to invest it, and I'm going to give you a very large return for your investment. And so I set you up, and I take money that other people have given, and I pay you that large in, uh, interest that you're expecting. But then all of a sudden I run out of money because I'm taking money from other people and giving it to you and I'm taking more money from other people and giving them theirs and then next thing you know the money stops. Or not only that but like the Madoffs and the Bankman Freed did, they took the money and spent it themselves on luxurious things. In other words, they took the money that was intended for something good and they did something bad with it. Huh. Sounds like Social Security to me. They take your money on a promise and then they take your money and give it away. It's an amazing thing that when we that when we when it comes down to it sometimes we're always looking for something that will give us more. Ecclesiastes 6:9 says it's better to be satisfied with what you have 
and to always be wanting something else. You say, well, that takes away all incentive in life. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about let that be your, let this being your driving force for life. Four phases of the rat race that we all have been a part of. Phase one of the rat race. You might want to write these down. Phase one. I don't think I gave it to you in the notes. Your yearning exceeds your earning. Phase one. Phase two. You get overextended financially and you get more in debt than you should be. You buy a bigger house or a bigger car or whatever, and you get overextended. So phase one, your earning, your yearning exceeds your earning. And your desires cause you to be overextended. Phase three, you have to hustle constantly to make ends meet. And you're always rushed, never able to enjoy what you have. Some people work two, three, four jobs. Now, I'm not condemning that because we live in a world that because of all the issues that are going on in our world, it takes a lot for a family just to be able to survive. But I'm talking about that we're doing that just to have more. And then phase four, guess what happens? Your family and your family life begins to deteriorate because you're more focused on things than you are on people and family. Therefore, we go back to the introduction. Finances the number one problem in families. Ecclesiastes 5, 19 says, If God gives a man wealth and property, he should be grateful and enjoy what he's worked for. It is a gift from God. You've worked hard. You've, you have um, accomplished the American dream, as it's called. You work hard. You stick with it. God's blessed you. Don't forget where it came from. I'm of this, of a generation that says this. Use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without. Let me say that again. Use it up, wear it out, make it do, or do without. I think that's a good motto for all of us to live by. What's the bottom line? If I put my trust in, in finances, if my happiness depends on wealth, it would mean that I have denied the God of heaven. Job chapter 31. Why? Because whatever we trust for our security in life becomes our God. What did Job say? Naked, I came into this world and naked I shall leave it. I made a statement one time that I've said several times through the years is I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. 
And some guy sent me a meme showing a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. So I don't guess I can say that anymore. So the principle is simply this. Money is not going to do us any good in heaven. The only time it's going to do us any good is now so that we can get more people into heaven. I think that's the reason God gives it to us, for us to enjoy, to work hard, to have a strong work ethic, and be able to understand that everything that we have is from him. I believe that's a gospel-centered family when it comes to finances, realizing that everything we have is from him and to be used for him. Lord, thank you today for our time to look at your word and look at this issue of how uh, we as believers should be influenced by and through the finances and not only the finances, but all the other uh, issues of life that you give us so freely to enjoy the health that we have while we have it because it can be gone in just a moment, to enjoy um, the blessings of life and liberty that we have, which can be gone in a moment, to enjoy the, the work of, of, our, of our labor and to enjoy the things that that brings uh, because um, it can be gone in just a moment. Because, Lord, we're one breath away from eternity. And if we spend all of our time and all of our lives focused on what we can get here and how we can get more, then we're not really focused on the eternal things. And maybe here today there's someone who's never, never focused on where they would spend eternity. And that today... They need, and they, their need is for you. It's not for more money or, or more business or more this or more that, even though those are realistic needs in this world. But our deepest and really only need that will keep us in this life and in the life to come is our need for you and a relationship with you. So I pray as we close this service out today, as we've spoken mainly to the believer today and the issue of how we should be good stewards, but, Lord, there's someone maybe who's never trusted you as their Lord and Savior. And today, right now, I would pray they would open their heart and say an everlasting yes to you. And they would settle for all eternity where they will spend eternity. And to look to you today as their only hope for salvation and repent of their sin, turn to you in faith, and accept you as their Lord and Savior. That would be our blessing and our desire, Lord, to be able to celebrate today. And so we commit this time of invitation to you. It's yours. You call out your Holy Spirit speaking to hearts, whatever the issues may be. And Lord, this is your altar. It's open for your people. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.